Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Today, we are thrilled to have with us Dr. David Ireland. He is a uh, senior pastor, the founder of the 6,000-member Christ Church in Rockaway in Montclair, New Jersey. It is a multi-ethnic, multi-site church, and Dr. Ireland has become a friend. He has become a mentor to me, especially over this past year, and just authored his, over his 20th book. It's called The Kneeling Warrior, Winning Your Battles Through Prayer. And this is a powerful book, just came out. He's authored over 20 of them. He also serves as a diversity consultant to the NBA. He runs chapel services for the New York Giants, New York Jets, at the U.S. Pentagon. So it's very powerful. We had an incredible uh, last service. And so here's the deal. We're joining us all together. We're in Morristown right now, but we need to welcome New Brunswick, Nutley, and Mountainside. So you give a big hand to those campuses. We're glad you're with us. And then together, welcome Dr. David Ireland. Come on out, David. We're thrilled to have you, man. You are a blessing to our church. Thank Thank you you so much, my friend. Honored to learn from you. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And I do bring greetings to you from from Montclair as well as Rockaway, New Jersey. We have seven services on the weekends, and so uh, I'm taking a breather. (laughs) But when I think about, uh, Tim, what God's doing here, I'm very excited. And when you've been walking through for the past month the God box, what it means to pray and then chronicle your prayer in this box and then watch what God does. I mean, that's fantastic. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said prayer is where the action is. And I want to talk with you about the kneeling warrior today. Let's bow our hearts together and pray. Father, thank you for the awesome, awesome opportunity to stand in front of these men and women across the state. I pray that as I share today that our time together will not just be another message, but let it be a time of transformation. Visit with us in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'm going to talk about the kneeling warrior. It may seem like kneeling and warrior, it's like an oxymoron. It doesn't doesn't fit one another, but it really does. And my journey into the world of prayer, it's not just when I became a believer in Jesus some 31 years ago. Something happened to me about eight years ago through a series of spiritual dreams. And the dreams ended up, each of them, where God was challenging me to change my life of prayer. In fact, these are the exact words the Holy Spirit spoke to me, David. I don't want you to be a man who prays. I want you to be a man of prayer. And there's a distinctly different experience between the two. Out of that journey is where the phrase, the kneeling warrior, originated. My journey in the world of prayer. In 1 Samuel 30, as I set it up for you historically, it was a time period in Israel's history where David had been spoken to prophetically by Samuel that he's going to be the king. And he had not yet been coronated, but Saul, the current king, got wind of this and went crazy, tried to kill David. And scholars tell us for about 10 years, Saul chased after him to kill him, unsuccessful. 
finally David decided to go and live in Philistine territory. And he did so for 16 months so that King Saul would not make any more attempts on his life. 600 men joined David along with their families. And they went on a military excursion. Then they returned back to the country village of Ziklag that was given to them by the king Akish of the Philistines where he lived. Let's find out what happened. Verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Verse 3. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoham of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Verse 7 reads, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod, that's a linen garment, symbolic of the presence of God. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he, that is God, answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And it's a fascinating read when you read through the entirety of this chapter. What you discover is this, David and his 600 men chased after the Amalekites. They found them got into a battle. David defeated the Amalekites, even though they were much more numerous than David and his men were. And he got back his wives and the wives of the family and their kids. No one and none of his family members, none of the family members of, their, of, their men were, of his men were killed. They got back not just the people, all the spoils of war they got back. But it began because something happened inside of David. I'm a teacher by training. And when I say training, by spiritual gifting. And I like systematic teaching and training to help people understand. But there are other times I don't try to teach. I try to help people to capture something. That's my perspective today. I don't want to give you a systematic process and analytical thought process and points. Rather, I want you to capture the heart. And the Bible is teaching us here that something happened inside of David that turned him into this ferocious warrior. Not the military warrior that he already was, but a kneeling warrior. And that's what needs to happen in every one of us. See, the Christian faith is a fighting faith. Jude verse 3 says we ought to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. In fact, the great uh, father of the faith, Tertullian, said the blood of the Christian is the seed of the church. The more we're mowed down, the more we grow. And he said that in the midst of Christians being persecuted, thrown to lions and and being martyred in, in the Roman Colosseums. I want you to understand, that's what Paul meant when he said in Ephesians 6 verse 11. That, and, and, I, and I quote here, Paul says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the schemes of the enemy. Do you realize that we are in a spiritual battle? That this is not just a, a spiritual walk, this is a warfare walk. And if you're not careful... 
The enemy of our soul, which the Bible paints and Jesus describes in very graphic ways, he is walking around seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy is trying to steal your marriage, to try to kill your relationship with your children, to try to stop you from having any kind of spiritual health and any kind of vitality and vibrancy. The enemy is trying to make us become subdued as Christ followers, that we stay within the four walls of our worship space and we never take the mess of Christ's love beyond that worship space. That's the enemy's tactic and interest. And I want you to see here in the text, we see something birth in David's heart. Let's go and join him there in Ziklag. He looks around as he and his men return. And what do they find? They find their village burned to the ground. Their tents burned. Makeshift huts and cots, cottages burnt. They look on the ground. They see the emblems of Amalekites, whether it may be torn garments, a broken sword, some broken spear. But some iconic symbol that indicated that the people who were perpetrators of this heinous act were Amalekites. And you know what David did? Because there were no dead bodies there. So that means then he realized that his wives, his two wives, the wives of his 600 men, their children, they were not killed. They are kidnapped. You know how it feels when the closest people to you are kidnapped, snatched, And when it's women, it means that they're probably going to be raped unceasingly or maybe sold into sex slave industry. The kids may be brought into such dehumanizing behavior and action and treatment or they may even be sold and resold in coming days. And so David and his men, when their minds projected futuristically as to what's going to happen with their family, all they can do is weep. And the Bible says, when they use the word weep, wept is is a term. To a Hebrew mind, it's different than when Americans weep. When we weep, people don't even know we're weeping. Especially us guys, we act all tough. We weep. Sometimes they don't even tears. We just, we stretch our eyes. Someone says, what's wrong? My wife said, what's wrong? I said, nothing, just lint, lint. And, and then you're stretching your eyes to stop any kind of tears from coming out. But the, when Hebrew wept, they bawled. It was loud, expressive. And these are military guys. When you see military guys, and, and I've been around them, I've been spoken at the Pentagon, and, and when you run up military guys, they're big, and they're tough, and they're mean, and they're stoic. And I remember when I was there, and the guys have their arms folded, and, and you knew the posture, it meant, bless me if you can, I dare you. <laughs> and, and you're sitting there saying, God, if there's any time you're going to show up, show up today. You know, and, and, so, and so I understand, so these guys started to weep because David felt, and the men felt, they were robbed. They were victimized. And it wasn't like they just stole their stuff, the Amalekites. That's one thing to steal stuff. I can always replace stuff. But you stole my family. And you're going to abuse them in, a, in, a, in the grossest of ways. You're going to violate them in every possible way that's so demeaning and dehumanizing. And they're weeping. And then the men... These men that had left Israel to go and be a part of David, these men that were so loyal, all of a sudden, the scripture says, they started speaking about stoning David. And David, what does he do? The latter part of verse 6 tells us, it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. And that word strength, it's a military word. It means that, that David found help. Strength means help. 
to be strong, to repair, to restrain, to encourage. In essence, David repaired himself. He restrained himself. He encouraged himself. He was able to get strong again in God. How do you repair yourself in God? By thinking about all of what God's done for you in prior days and being able to remember the promises of God and know that God is a very present help even in times of trouble. And when David reminded himself of all what God did, the next thing David did was was go into a place of prayer. But I want you to understand, if it doesn't bother you that your family may be snatched from you, your marriage may implode, your, your, your children may just turn away and walk away from God and disconnect from you and disconnect from anything that God has from you. If that doesn't bother you, you'll never be a kneeling warrior. Something deep inside your core must become so perturbed when someone, the enemy of your soul, tries to steal something from you. You do like what Paul told Timothy. He said to Timothy, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6 verse 20, guard what has been entrusted to your care. May I say to you that the Holy Spirit planted Liquid Church because there's something in New Jersey that's been entrusted to your care. And you need to guard it. And you can't guard it if you're not going to be a man or woman of prayer. And what the Lord has entrusted to your family, if you don't guard that, then you're not going to be someone powerful. And sir, I feel sorry for your family if you're not a man of prayer. Ma'am, I feel sorry for you and your children if you're not a woman of prayer. And the victory must start off in a place of prayer. And you must feel deeply though when the enemy is trying to steal something from you. A friend of mine is around my age. He tells me this story. And my wife always says, look, if you don't say anything to David about stories or anything that happened to you because it's going to come up in some teaching somewhere. It may change your name, but it's going to come up. So if you don't want to say anything, don't say anything. And so my friend told me the story. He said, when I was eight years old, I don't know why he's telling me. He said, when I was eight years old, I was leaving school one day, and some bullies in my class pushed me around and grabbed my glasses on my face, off my face, and wouldn't give it back to me. I said, what'd you do? He said, I started crying. What am I going to do? I can't beat up these bullies. I started walking home. I'm crying. When I get to my house, there's my dad standing on the front steps with his arms folded, in this posture that's stoic and fierce looking. He said, you got to understand my dad. My dad is a former drill sergeant in the Marines. And he stood there flat-footed right on the front steps just looking at me. He didn't run and embrace me with his arms open when he saw his eight-year-old son crying. He just stood there with his arms folded and he looked at me. His eyes just shot out with this fierceness. He said, son, what's wrong? And my friend said, amidst my tears, I started telling my dad, that some bullies in my class pushed me around and stole my glasses and wouldn't give it back to me. And my dad didn't even flinch. He just barked out this command at me. He said, go get your stuff. You go and meet those boys and you go get your stuff and don't you come home until you have your stuff. And then he said to my older brother, who was two years older, so he was 10, he said, Jeff, go with him. Don't do anything, Jeff. Just make sure he gets his stuff back. And so I said, what happened? He said, if I didn't go back and get my stuff, it was going to be worse at home. <laughs> and so and my, my friend goes back, and I said, what happened? He said, it wasn't pretty, but I got my stuff back. 
Fast forward. Now, today, my friend is like a fifth-degree black belt in judo. He can get his stuff back, your stuff back, my stuff back. He can get stuff back that doesn't belong to him. It doesn't matter. You'll give him your stuff just to get him off your back. I mean, whatever it needs. But there's something about that. But what his dad was trying to teach him, and what God is trying to teach us in his word, is that there must be something inside of you, a warrior's kind of mindset that says, I cannot just lay down let the enemy walk into my home and demolish my marriage and tear apart my my career and cause my spiritual life to go down the drains and I sit back and watch it. Even guys who are peace-loving people that don't believe in any kind of fighting. It was like the, the Amish guy. He came home and when he came home there was this thief rummaging through his house. The Amish guy, he said, he announced, he said, sir, thou art standing. We're about to shoot. <laughs> I want you to understand that even when it comes to To the place of, you may say, well, I'm just peaceful and peace-loving. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is a fighting faith. And God has given us a weapon. And one of the weapons that he's given us is the weapon of prayer. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools that we can ever use to engage God in spiritual practices. And unless you learn how to pray, and I'm not just talking about praying niceties. We all know nice prayers. I'm talking about the kind of thing that David prayed in in 1 Samuel 30. Look at verse 7, and we're going to see game changing. You ever go to the movies? And all of a sudden, you know something's about to take place that's just going to change the whole nature. I like action movies. And then you hear the, the director created the music bed underneath the, you know, this change. And you start hearing things like, doom, doom, doom. Doom, 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 doom. How many have heard that? <laughs> Liquid, come on. I want you to say that. Doom, doom, doom. Come on. Doom, doom, doom. Doom, 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 doom. Game changer now. And all of a sudden, verse 7 reads... Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord. Here's what he prayed. Shall I pursue this raiding party? Now, here you get the the concept of kneeling warrior. Here's a warrior kneeling in prayer. He's getting his commands from God before he goes out and does anything. And so he says, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Here's what God responds. Pursue them. He answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So David prayed this kind of prayer that says, God, what should I do here? Now notice this. David didn't know how many Amalekites. He didn't know if there were thousands versus his 600 guys. He didn't know the kind of weapons that they had. He didn't know how far they were. He didn't know if they were back in their their community, you know, among their own people where there are non-soldiers there as well. He didn't know any of those things. But all he had was an access to God. That's why it's so powerful when God's given us this gift of prayer. You have the ability to talk to God about whatever you need and God can get you to be able to to get answers from whatever you need in order to get the breakthrough. What I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, is this. There's when you have the mindset that, wait a second, the enemy's trying to steal my stuff. The enemy's trying to break apart my family. I can't just sit back and watch him. I need to use the gift of prayer and be able to step into this place and have power with God on bended knees. That lesson I was trying to teach this couple, they came to me years ago, they were family, their marriage was so strained, so unhealthy. I don't care if you had two PhDs in counseling, you couldn't help them. I mean, they were just, their hearts were hardened. But amidst all of their dysfunction, they loved each other and they wanted to try to have a go at the marriage. 
So after hearing all of what he did and what she did and what we did and, and all of this stuff, I said, look, there's nothing I can possibly say to you to help you other than this. Let's set aside Wednesdays for the next four weeks that Wednesdays will be a day of fasting and you'll eat one meal that day. I'll join you in terms of fasting where I am and where you guys are. We'll, I'll eat one meal. I'll turn the other meal times into times of prayer where my prayer request is, God, bring healing to this marriage. I need a miracle in this marriage. Would you join me in that? When I said that to this couple, they looked across the table with their eyes opened up like two big saucers, like a deer caught in a headlight, which I understood what the, the meaning was. Their, 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 their shock was like, you want me to fast? Not eat? And then I responded to their shock. Look, I said, look, If it doesn't bother you that your marriage is about to crumble, that you're going to divorce court and you are going to be on the the heap piles of a ruined relationship, if it doesn't bother you enough for you to fast and get in there and fight for your marriage spiritually, why should I fast? If you don't, if you're not disturbed about the nature and the level of your relationship, I challenge them. Let me ask you a question, sir. How much does it bother you? that you see the enemy trying to just snatch away your future and your destiny and you're sitting by watching because you're saying, well, I don't know if this prayer and stuff's going to work. Why don't you go and do what God's asked you to do? God says, come to me and seek me and I'll be found of you. See, the Lord wants us to come and pray. You don't need to be someone that has these religious words. All you need to know is how to pray. Quick prayer, quick, quick, quick prayer. It'll get God to respond. I remember several years ago, I was on a missions trip in Kenya. I woke up that morning. And I looked at the front page of the paper and it had these words, Saba, Saba. I don't know what that meant. It's Swahili. So I asked the waitress in the restaurant. I was eating breakfast. I said, what does Saba, Saba mean? She laughed and walked away. So I asked somebody else, what does Saba, Saba mean? And then they said, well, it means 7-7. It's really July, the seventh month of the year. And it's the seventh day of July, so it's 7-7. But they said it has more meaning than 7-7. It has some political overtures. I said, what does that mean? They said, well... Kenya is going through, you know, season, voting season, and all over the papers, everywhere, on the television, you you were hearing the statement, vote for your favorite Kenyan party. At that time, there's only one political party. (laughs) And so what this group did in Kenya was, was, was raise up a whole bunch of, you know, just really mean kids. And just empower these kids across the entire nation to, to go and start trouble. Kill people, knock down uh, traffic lights, knock down you know, the, the night lights, you know, and, and put them in the highway. Just create mayhem. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. I mean, you saw a guy standing at the, at the gate of the hotel where I was. I brought a pastor friend with me. He runs into the lobby and he's there panting. So I said, what's going on? I thought he was just playing around. He said, he, just, he couldn't even talk. He just looked, pointed. There was a guy standing with a machete in his hand saying, come here, come here. He had chased him for several blocks trying to kill him. We're leaving that day to go to the airport. So I'm really excited. Okay, I'm out of here now. It's a three-hour drive to the airport. So I jump in the car. I'm in the front passenger seat. The pastor is in the driver's seat. It's just he and I in the car. and another team with me in a second car behind us. And we're driving. And about an hour into the drive, there is this pole, this telephone pole, knocked down the middle of the highway. And I saw these six teenage boys running from the, from the mountainside, coming into the, into the highway with rocks in their hands, about to stone us. And here I'm thinking now, I, 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 I need to apologize. First, 
I know I'm a pastor, but prayer never entered my mind. You know, Bible reading didn't enter my mind. What I thought was that I, I'm going out today, I'm going to take as many Kenyans with me as possible. And so, so I'm sitting there, so I'm sitting there, I'm just in the car, so I'm, I'm coming with this plan. See, I grew up in New York City. And so I, I'm, in, I'm in the car, I'm thinking, I'm scheming. I, I wasn't thinking about compassion and humility. I'm thinking, okay, here's my plan. When they come, come close to the car, I'm going to swing the door open, I'm going to hit one in the knees, then I'm going to jump out and grab one in the headlock, and I'm going to take one out and then take the other one out. And so I'm thinking all this now, I'm coming up with a plan, and I'm rubbing my hands together, I'm raising, adrenaline's kicking in, adrenaline's kicking in, I'm bracing myself, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, as the teenage boys are coming closer to the car, the pastor leans across my knees and opens up the glove compartment, and then I heard these words come out of my mouth, praise God. I thought he had a, a gun in the glove compartment, so I said, I said, praise God, and so he opened up the glove compartment, and then there was no gun, it was the Bible, I said, the Bible, the Bible. I mean, I yelled at the guy, so the Bible, the Bible. He never lost his composure, even though I had lost mine. He probably said it's American. <laughs> and so he holds up the Bible, and those thick family Bibles, about two inches thick. He holds up, holds up the Bible, and he shows the spine to the windshield, and it says, Holy Bible. And when the teenage boys saw the words, they dropped their rocks, and they said, go ahead. What I learned that day. Go ahead, come on, if we're going to applaud the Lord, let's applaud the Lord. What I learned that day is that God's word has so much power that it caused even the conscience of these crazed teenagers to be changed. And I'm saying to you, if unbelieving, unregenerate teenagers can respond like that to the word, and the devil knows the word inside out, when you start to stand on the word in spiritual warfare and go before Almighty God and hold up the word of God, the promise of God before the enemy of your soul and say, Satan, you can't have my family. You can't have my children. You can't have my career. You can't have my ministry. You can't have my health. You can't have my finances. Something inside of you, a warrior's mentality should rise up inside of you. Anybody in this house a warrior today give the Lord a battle cry there's something inside of you that should have the ferocity and the heart and the mindset of a warrior and that's how we must must be able to do it that's the way David approached God in prayer and we see David's theology demonstrated in his prayer I can tell you all about your theology the way you view God the way you interact with God just by listening to fractions and moments and seconds of your prayer Theology means the way you study and understand God. David's prayer gave us clarity that God, to David, was God that he can worship during times of worship, and he can go before God during times of warfare. David was comfortable with God in worship and comfortable with God in warfare. I know a lot of Christ followers, they gravitate only to one camp. They're over here, they're singing all the Jesus culture songs, and they're singing all the songs, I'm a friend of God, wonderful songs that I sing and enjoy, and they're singing all these songs, and they're singing Planet Shaker songs, and I just enjoy it. And when it comes over here to warfare, they said, you can't be a spiritual punk. You need to know how to step in and fight for the enemy. You can't allow the enemy to walk into your house and demolish your life and marriage. And you sit back there and you just say, well, I don't know. I'm just compassionate. That's not what David did. David prayed, God, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? See, David's view of God was that God was not limited to moral issues alone. We think that God's a resident policeman up in the sky, just overseeing the moral issues of the universe, walking out with a nightstick, making sure everybody's doing right. Oh, you lied? One strike for you. Oh, adultery? Oh, two, three strikes for you. Really bad. And we think that's what God does. 
That's not God. His scope is over everything, everywhere. And God is not afraid to get into the scrap and into the fight and into the battle with you. My God is a, is a, is a warrior God. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 15 and verse 3 that the Lord is a warrior. The Bible tells us in Joshua 5 verse 14, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Psalm 3 verse 7, the scripture says, strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's what's referred to as the imprecatory psalms. Violent, fighting kind of psalms. New Testament, we're not fighting in that way, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I want to encourage you, liquid church, that you need to learn and grow in the art of spiritual warfare. Don't think for a moment the enemy is going to let you step into New Jersey and grow and enlarge and do all those things. Let me tell you, I'm walking as a living testimony of understanding the fight that goes on oftentimes when it comes to property. It's easy to build a large church. It's more difficult to win a city. And I learned the difference as our church battled for our West Campus three and a half years publicly and three and a half years privately after we were approved for the property use. And I understand what it means to go through those kinds of battles and have to be able to win battles on my knees. When we were threatened, the township said we're going to exercise eminent domain and take the property. And I'm sitting in the office of that spot and I see eminent domain attorneys walking in and in the building and taking notes. And we had to go into prayer and ask God for wisdom. And I can't tell you what, he, what God did, but suffice to say, we're there in that property now. And we've been there worshiping for the past four years and seen some 1,500 people come and make decisions for Christ in that space of time just because we, we had the victory on bended knees. And I'm not bringing attention to myself. I'm bringing attention to how big our God is. And I'm saying to you, you must recognize the power of prayer. And that's what David was doing when he prayed. He went on bended knees, became this kneeling warrior, and said, God, should I go and pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Will I succeed? And they practice listening prayer. He prayed, then he listened. And God says, go and pursue them. You'll certainly overtake them. You'll succeed. I want you to know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask and all that you can imagine. What he's waiting for is Dr. Billy Graham saying, God is waiting. He says, heaven is stockpiled with answers to prayer that have never been prayed. And David prayed this game-changing prayer. A number of years ago, I was leaving our East Campus, Montclair. I have an office there and I was walking out of that office, and I put my laptop into my computer bag. And I have one of those computer bags that has the wheels on it. And so I put the, ba- the computer away, closed up the bag. I had the wheels. I pulled the, you know, the, the arm up, and I'm rolling, rolling it. I had to come out of my office, out of my assistant's office, into the hallway. And then the way that building is established and structured, the layout, is that when you walk to one of the exit doors, you walk to the, the flat area, and you have to walk down two steps, push open a set of double doors, walk another six feet, push open the second set of double doors, and you exit onto the street. I'm tired. Tuesday, I'm exhausted. I'm wheeling the the bag. I get to to the edge of the hallway where I should not walk down two steps, but I did something foolish. I think I'm just trying to save time. So instead of me walking down the two steps, I leaned forward and I pushed the double doors open. Simultaneously, 
As I pushed it open, someone was coming in from the outside, and they pulled it open. (laughs) Thankfully, I didn't fall. I was able to balance myself, and I stood up. But when I stood up, what emerged through those double doors was frightening. This huge guy. I mean, I'm standing two steps above him. I'm looking at his chest. And so I'm looking at his chest, and his barrel chest, big, and not an inch of fat on the guy. Big arms, 17-inch biceps just burgeoning through his sleeve. You look at his neck, you can see the veins in there, his chiseled chin, like those cartoons you see, square chin, look like an athlete. You, you knew this guy knew his way around the gym. And he's looking at me, and I'm thinking, man, what, do I, what am I going to do with now? And then he said these words that brought peace to me. A deep voice, hey, pastor, how you doing, man? And so I was glad that he knew I was a pastor. And so that caused peace to come over. At least he knew I'm a pastor. I'm a man of the cloth. He's like, hey, pastor, how you doing, man? And since I didn't want to act like a punk, I, I had to deepen my voice. I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. <laughs> and so I deepened my voice a little bit. And so, here I, so he, he walked through the door, and he said, I'm glad I ran into you, man. He said, I'm a professional boxer, man. I've been in, in, it was in the Ali movie with Will Smith, and I'm getting ready to go to Vegas on Thursday. I'm glad I ran into you. I just want to, I was dropping off something at the church, but since I ran into you, I'm going to Vegas on Thursday for a fight. Would you pray for me, man? How do you pray for someone whose job is to beat up people? I mean, I, mean, I, just, I just want to ask you because I can pray for a nurse. I can pray for a guy in IT. I can pray for a lawyer sometimes. How do you pray for a guy who's to beat up people? That's his job. His job is to beat you up. I mean, that's how he gets his money. That's how he puts bread on the table, beating you up. If he doesn't beat you up, he doesn't have bread to eat. So he has to beat you up. And so how do you pray for a guy like that? So I'm sitting there now. Now, I've been to seminary. I'm a seminary grad, and I know my seminary profs, they told us students how we ought to pray for people. We should invoke the name of the omnipotent one, and we should make sure our voice is regal because we're modeling the king. And so when we pray, we should be able to say, Almighty God, thou who oversees the universe, look down upon your servant and help him in his time of distress. And so that's what I was taught to pray. But I knew this guy's a brawler. He, he didn't need an ecclesiastical prayer. He needed a street prayer. And so I prayed for him. I said, Lord, anoint your son that when he gets into the ring on Thursday, he can knock out his opponent. He can lay him on the mat in Jesus' name. <laughs> and so I prayed like that. And then, then, then the guy looked down at me. He didn't look up because he looked down. because I'm shorter than he was. He looked down and he opened his eyes and said, thank you, man. I needed that, man. Thank you. And, and, and I said, you're welcome, man. And so, and so I left and he left. And so about a week or two later, I'm just preaching at the East Campus and I'm walking out between services. And then what I, who do I see I'm sitting on the edge? I see the same boxer and he's sitting on the edge. I said, how did it go? He said, man, I won, man, I won. He gave me a thumbs up. I won, man. Thanks for praying for me, man. Thanks. And so therein we see God is a warlike God. We ought not to limit God to just moral issues and soft issues. Don't pray like our parents taught us in their well-intentioned way when we were children. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon me, little child. Stop praying that prayer if you've been praying that prayer. Don't put that prayer into your prayer box. Get it out of the box. Pray the kind of prayer that says, God, I need you to go and do some damage to the enemy. I need you to get my family to line up with your word. I need you to be able to bring healing to my soul. I need you to touch my children. I need you to transform my community. You need to pray a warrior's prayer. If you're a warrior, give the Lord a battle cry. That's the mindset 
That's the mindset we need to have as followers of Jesus. I remember when I was doing a chapel service for the Giants, the middle linebacker said to me, he, he had, I have a cap that someone gave to me at this church where I taught on leadership, and they had an eagle in the center, and my initials, D-I. And I foolishly wore it. Here I'm sitting there like 20 players in the Giants. I'm in the locker room, I'm talking. And then the middle linebacker says, Hey, Pastor, you better take that hat off, man. Take that hat off. Because you know, D-I, David Ireland, eagle, represents leadership. He said, every time I see you with that hat on, man, I think about the Philadelphia Eagles. You better take the hat off. Take it off. <laughs> and so when someone big speaks to you like that, you say, yes, sir. You take the hat off. And so I took the hat off. And, and he said, you know, here's what he said to me after he said, he said, I struggled for such a large time, a long time, coming to faith in Christ because I thought that being a Christian meant that I had to be a wimp. And may I say to you today, as we enter into a whole new level of spiritual warfare, you must become a kneeling warrior. It's time for you to contend for the promise of God spoken to you and to your family and for this generation. Let me pray with you. Bow your heart with me. Father, I thank you right now for each one of these individuals in the room and the other campuses. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will penetrate every family represented here today, bring transformation to their lives, give them a warrior's mindset and a warrior's perspective. May they get into the spiritual battle and the fray of things and go and get their stuff back. Anoint them to fight in prayer and be victorious in Christ's name. Keep your head bowed for a moment, eyes closed. The first battle you may need to win for you that may have come here today you may have been visiting for weeks or maybe today's your first time. You've got to win the decision over your life. Are you going to follow Jesus or live your own way? Jesus says, come unto me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus wants to give you peace and rest and eternal life. I ask you this question today. If you have never before invited Jesus into your life to be your Savior or you're away from God and your heart's cold, Pray this prayer with me as well. Quietly in your heart, repeat after me these words. Heavenly Father, I need you. Forgive me of all of my sins. Change my life. Help me to live for you, starting right now and for the rest of my life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Congratulations. I want to welcome you into God's incredible family. If you just prayed that simple prayer with me and you meant business, I want you to slip your hand up right where you are. Right where you are, if that was you who prayed that prayer. Congratulations. Someone else, quickly, quickly, quickly. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. As we heard through instruction today, Pastor Tim, next week, water baptism. Great, great action to do. It, it's a public testament of your newfound faith in Jesus. I, I encourage you to be water baptized. Thanks for hearing the word today on the Kneeling Warrior. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.